0: Alright, so we are to Revelation chapter 4 and a lot of really important things that I want to cover in this chapter that um, hopefully will be a help and hopefully help you understand the book of Revelation and how to interpret things in Bible prophecy. So this is a short chapter, so that's good because there's a lot of really important things I want to cover that are really going to help as we go through the rest of the book of Revelation and when it comes to just understanding what we're reading. Because, let's just be honest, some of the things that we see in Revelation can get a little confusing. And there's a lot of things in Revelation that are clearly symbolic. There's things that are literal too. And so we want to make sure we're arriving at the right conclusions because there's a lot of false teaching out there when it comes to Revelation. And so I, re- I real quickly I want to deal with, uh, the, uh, just briefly touch on the most popular teaching that you will hear from Revelation chapter 4. But look what it says in verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, what is very com- this part right here, this verse, is a pre-trib, proof verse. The most pre-tribbers, if you ask them, show me the rapture, In Revelation, they will say, Revelation 4.1. Why? Because a trumpet's mentioned. And folks, that is just so stupid. That is so stupid, For and I hate to be mean, but if you're just going to say a trumpet's mentioned, and you're going to say that that is proof of a pre-trib rapture, well then, how about the seven trumpets that we see later in Revelation? You know, we see seven trumpets that are blown later, and in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a verse that says, at the last trump. So wouldn't it be fair then to draw a conclusion that the rapture comes at the seventh trumpet? Now, if we were being fair and honest in how we interpret things, that would be much more likely, but guess what? The seventh trumpet isn't the rapture either. Alright, and I'll show, I'll prove that to you uh, when we get to that chapter. But this is desperation. They need it to be. Chapter 4, verse 1. They need this to be the rapture. Because look, John's getting caught up. You know, one guy getting caught up in the Spirit. The rapture is a bodily resurrection. Now, where do they come up with this this stupidity? Alright, well, it's just people repeating what they've heard. But ultimately, it comes from Schofield. And in Schofield's notes, after Revelation 4, for Revelation 4, 1, it says, and this is what you'll hear people say all the time, too. Proof is, you know, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's all to the churches. And you never see the church mentioned again until after the seven years are all over. That's what everybody says. And then it's and where does that come from? It comes from Schofield. It says here, this call come up hither uh, cl- seems clearly to indicate the fulfillment of First Thessalonians four fourteen through seventeen, which is the famous rapture passage. The word church does not. Again occur in revelation Till all is fulfilled That's where it came from It came from Schofield And I'm not going to spend a lot of time Talking about Schofield If you need to know about Schofield Go get one of the documentaries on Schofield And you'll see He's not somebody that we ought to be listening to But one thing that people often do They'll get so focused on symbolism And things in Bible prophecy And in passages That they often miss The main point of the passage itself And Revelation 4 is a very short chapter that has a very clear theme. Revelation 4 is talking about one very specific thing and most people never talk about that. They're too busy trying to figure out who the 24 elders are. What does the sea of glass represent? What about these seraphims? They're all focused on all these little side things and as a result of trying to figure out those things... They missed the main point of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm going to show you, or not 1 Thessalonians, Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to show you, first off, what the main idea of Revelation 4 is. And also, I'm going to, just a little teaser I'm going to throw out here to make sure you all pay attention to the whole message, alright? Alright, the 24 elders. Another thing that is taught in the pre trib world is the 24 elders are the church. They represent the church. And we have the 24 elders there that's the church and they just say that like that's a fact but they do they don't give any bible to back that up or to prove it at all i personally believe the 24 elders are actually 24 elders i think it's just 24 people and here's here's a little teaser i'm going to wait to the end of the message i think i know who they are 17 of them i think i can name 17 of the 24 elders you know, looking at me funny, and you know what? I might be dead wrong, and if I'm a heretic for saying this, you know, show me, and I'll repent of it, all right? It's just a theory, all right? And if I may allow myself to tell you who I think 17 of the 24 elders are, uh, I would appreciate it. So before I uh, name these people, I want to show you some things uh, from the scriptures on this that kind of back up and show you why I think this way. Uh, I've got, I've got Bible for why I think this, but I could, I could be dead wrong. All right, and so anyway, now I got y'all interested, so you'll pay attention to the whole message, but um, that I'll, I'll reveal this at the end. So anyway, so in verse one, of Revelation four, we read that, and so we need to remember, John here, he's, he's going to write about the things that he saw. Okay, he's seeing things, and many of these things that he's seeing, these things are visions. Okay, We see a lot of examples of visions in the Bible. And this first thing that he sees, he sees a door open in heaven. He hears a voice. He doesn't hear a trumpet. He hears a voice like a trumpet because it's really loud that's talking with him, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So... John's writing about the things that he saw. That's what it says in Revelation 1-2. We looked at that the first day. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ of all the things that he saw. And many of the things that John is seeing, these things are visions. Some of these things are not necessarily literal things, but they do have application. And there's a reason that God is showing him things in visions, and that is because our faith physical human body could not handle seeing some of the heavenly things and so he's shown in these things and visions and there are things that go on in heaven that you and I we can't fully comprehend we you and I can't fully comprehend eternity everything that we know is based on time space and matter what we can see feel touch you know eternity is outside of all that eternity was before all of that and so we and I'm going to show examples of this. There are things that are heavenly that God has to often use earthly things to illustrate them so we're capable of understanding them. But what people do, you've got the hyper literalists that go and they'll take some of these things and they just go crazy literal with them and just go into stupid town. And I'm telling I'm getting tired of people just taking passages in the Bible And just going nuts with them and making the Bible look stupid and making themselves look stupid. And there's examples of this in Revelation chapter 4, and I'll show you some of these as we go through them. But, uh, you know, so not everything John saw was literal. You know, and it's, the things he's seeing aren't necessarily, might not necessarily be the way that we will see them someday. But it's the way they had to be described for us to be able to get anything out of it. Because they are heavenly things. And so saying what John saw was not literal is not saying that the Scripture is wrong. Okay, Some things in the Bible are poetic. They're metaphorically speaking. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 25. But when you're talking with idiots and people who just don't know the Bible very well, they'll often do that when they want to go o- overly literal on something. They'll say, well, so you saying the Bible is wrong? no, the Bible is not wrong. I'm saying you're an idiot for how you're trying to interpret the Bible. Look what it says in Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left hand. So is that saying that one of these days when Jesus Christ comes back He's going to divide sheep and goats. Is that what it's talking about? Because that's what it says. No, we know it's talking about. He's going to separate the saved from the lost. But it says sheep and goats. So are you going to say that sheep and goats? No. One of these days, he's really going to do it. It's going to be actual sheep and actual goats. All right. Now sometimes in the Bible, and, and we have the and it's and it's in that passage, it will tell us that. This is represents something. We often have that in the Bible where it tells us, hey, this represents this. Okay? But you know what? Sometimes the Bible doesn't tell us that. Sometimes we're just supposed to have common sense and understand that. But what people will do is they like the metaphor and they want to run with it. And then they just say things that are just absolutely foolish and ridiculous to try to promote some crazy teaching of theirs. But listen, Jesus is not going to separate sheep and goats one of these days. He's, but he is going to separate saved from the lost. Sheep represent the saved, goats represent the lost. So I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong when I say he's not going to separate sheep, literal sheep and goats. I'm saying the Bible's teaching you know, he, it's using that as an example. Just like, you know, a farmer might do that. And so, but pe- this is what people want to do. They want to say, so you're saying this isn't true. And the modalists all do that when it comes to certain things, when it's talking, the Bible's talking about the Father and the Son. Oh, so you're saying the Bible's wrong in this? No, I'm saying your interpretation is ridiculous and you're missing the main point. And I'm going to show you more examples of this. This is important that we get this stuff. Okay, and I don't know, you know, so, I attract two kinds of people. It seems like sometimes I, I, you know, somehow the crazy people always find me. Just people that are absolutely nuts. I can be visiting another state, and somehow I run into the crazy psycho people. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe something's wrong with me. And sometimes too, maybe I'm just too nice. Maybe I'm too, you know, I, I give people too many chances. But I also just, you know, I seem to have conversations with just total idiots. On a regular basis. all right, and, maybe to, and a lot of times it's online. Maybe it's because I try to answer stupid questions too often. And I'm just getting sick of it. I'm about, I'm about ready to just become a real jerk. And just start telling people to jump in the lake more often. But sometimes the Bible is speaking of things in a general sense. And not a specific sense. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 28. This is like the shortest chapter, I think, in Revelation, but it's probably going to be my longest message tonight because i got so much stuff I want to cover. It says, And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Talking about Moses. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. All right. So now we all use that verse right there to teach that Moses didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days. right? But wait, it says he didn't eat bread or drink water. So could he have ate some fruit? Could he have ate some meat? It just says that he didn't eat bread or drink water. Because how do you survive for 40 days without eating or drinking anything? So he probably drank some juice. He probably ate some meat. No, it's speaking in a general sense. Why? Because bread is often just kind of a word for food in general. Why? Because it was kind of a main thing. It's speaking in a general sense. But when you're talking to Bible idiots who want to just make the Bible mean whatever they want, they want to go super literal with that and then come up with just something else that goes against what the Bible's teaching. The Bible is trying to teach us in Exodus 34 that Moses didn't need anything. And it's not going to go and say, Moses didn't need any this and this and just name. It's just speaking in general, all right? Water is kind of the main thing you drink. You look what, and you don't have to turn there. In Genesis 47, it says that when the money failed in the land of Egypt, the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, "Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth." And Joseph said, "Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail." And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle, of the herds and for the asses, and he fed them with the bread. For all their cattle that year. Why did they ask for bread? You know, why couldn't they, why didn't they ask for fruit? Why didn't they ask for vegetables? Once again, bread is often just used in general for just food. And somebody, if, depending, I, I don't know why somebody would want to go crazy literal on that, but it's that type of thing that people often do with the Bible that causes them just to go into rucktardation and all, or modalism and all kinds of false doctrine. And you cannot do that. What's important is you get the main idea of the passage. And the main idea of the passage there in Genesis is the people were hungry. There was a famine in the land. They didn't have enough food. And what are they doing? They're running to the government for help. They run to Joseph. And what does the government do when they help? They take everything. We now own everything that you've got. That's what that's the, the main thing that that passage is teaching. and so and I personally don't think that Joseph gave him bread. I think he gave him wheat, you know and then they went and made bread with that. Also you're saying that the Bible's wrong. I'm saying get the main idea of what it's trying to teach right there. y'all y'all see where I'm going with this. okay It's important that you that you understand this stuff because I'm telling you these hyperliteralists as I like to call them, they are making the Bible look stupid. And there's more and more of this stuff. It is amazing the way this junk is spreading. And it is it's just mass stupidity is what it is. And it's all over the place. And so, uh, you know, the Bible's full of examples of people who saw visions that represented different things. Okay? Daniel. Remember the statue that Daniel saw? or that Nebuchadnezzar saw, it had the head of gold, the shoulders of uh, silver. Y'all know that. Is, this, is that something literal? No, that represented certain kingdoms. And the Bible explains that. We see in Daniel, there were some beasts that Daniel saw coming up out of the sea. Are there literally beasts like that that come out of the sea? Absolutely not. But that vision represented something that was to come. And God often does that in the Bible. And he does that in the book of Revelation. And so the thing is, when we go and we're looking at Daniel and we're looking at these beasts or we're looking at the statue, we're not supposed to just go all looking at, all right, now what does gold represent? And what does silver represent? And, you know, this is often associated with this. And then just go teaching some doctrine that has absolutely nothing to do with the main idea of that vision and what God was trying to teach in that passage. And that's what people are doing with the Bible. They're taking phrases in the Bible, they're taking statements, and they're taking symbolism, and they're running with it, and they're making the Bible talk about something the Bible wasn't trying to talk about. Don't do that. Don't do that with how you interpret Scripture. Ezekiel saw things like that. Ezekiel saw visions. You know, Peter did. Remember the beast that came down holding the sheet. What, what was that? It was just a vision. It wasn't something literal. It was something that Peter saw. It was a vision that God gave Peter to show him that, you know what, it's okay for you to go to the Gentiles. Go ahead and preach the gospel to Cornelius. You know, don't look at, his, at him as some unclean Gentile. Okay, He's somebody that I'm going to save. He's somebody that I'm going to sanctify. Don't call him common or unclean. That is the main me- message of that passage right there in Acts chapter 10. Paul saw things like that. And so uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. So remember too, we're looking at, you know, some of the things that we're seeing in Revelation, they are heavenly things. Don't go taking these things and making them these earthly literal things so i'm going to i'm going to show you some examples too tyler doka all right some of the stuff that he's done with revelation it's just ridiculous and it is not what you're supposed to do with the scripture it's dishonest and I, i'm i'm getting sick of this type of foolishness but second Corinthians or uh Yes, i'm in first corinthians second corinthians chapter 12 so paul i'm you know paul's seeing something here all right Many people believe that Paul actually died, and we're not going to speculate a whole lot on this. But let's start reading in verse, uh, let's we'll start reading verse 1. It says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. Now, what were these? You know, He doesn't tell us what the words were, but he says they're unspeakable words, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. And he doesn't get specific. We can only speculate here, but I personally think he's saying when he said he heard unspeakable words, I think the things that he's hearing were literally unspeakable. He didn't know how to put into earthly words the things that he heard in heaven. Why? Cuz these were heavenly things. If he wrote it down on paper, it probably wouldn't make sense to us. He might not have even known how to write it down on paper. And, you know, it would have been perceived as something blasphemous. That's why he's saying it was unlawful because here he is, he's going to be saying things about heaven, that were not revealed anywhere in the Scriptures. And he's just like, you know, I I think a good way to explain it, have you ever been, you know, woke up at night, maybe you heard your uh, spouse, maybe you've heard your kids talking in their sleep before? Have you ever noticed when somebody talks in their sleep, you can never repeat what they said? You know why you can never repeat what they said? Because you can't remember exactly what they said, because the words never make sense. It's all jumbled up and so you don't know, you can't remember, there's no way for your mind to remember what they said exactly because they said, they jumbled up their words in such a weird way. You just can't remember it. Okay? And so, even though you understood the English words that they used, you don't know how to put them together because the way they went together just didn't make any sense. And so you forget. Right? Well, that's kind of how it is with heavenly things. It's not going to make sense In our human brain, the eternal heavenly things, it's just not going to it's not going to work with our English language. And so Paul's saying, I I can't really I can't describe these things that I saw. They're they're unspeakable things, it's not lawful to be uttered. And so and he and so he did. He had visions, he had revelations, God showed him things. So the things that we see in heaven a lot of times, when the Bible is showing us things in heaven, or John's visions of things he saw in heaven, there is an earthly message that we're supposed to get from this. There is a specific earthly message that God wants us to get, that God wants us to understand, and we are not to take those things and all of a sudden start teaching doctrines about the makeup of heaven and how things work in heaven, that was not the intent of that passage. Y'all get what I'm saying? And so when I'm saying, so when I mention some of these things, I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong. I'm saying what you're trying to say the Bible is teaching is not what the Bible is trying to teach. Okay? I hope y'all are following me here, because this is important that you get this. And speaking of heavenly things that are not true, you know, you can't back up a scripture. You know, it's something that would have been perceived as blasphemy. We're not going to turn there, but remember when Stephen was being stoned and he said, you know, he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. What did the, What did they do? Man, they they started blocking their ears. They're like, you know, we're hearing blasphemy here. He's speaking of things in heaven and he's wrong. Of course, he was right in what he was saying, but when they're hearing about these heavenly things, it was perceived as blasphemy to them. Um, to, Turn over to Matthew chapter twenty six, and verse sixty four, says Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless I say unto thee, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? For behold now, ye have heard his blasphemy. So we see that in in the Bible, whenever people would start speaking of things in heaven, it was often something that was perceived as blasphemy. And we know in the case of Jesus Christ, in the case of Stephen, these guys were not blaspheming. They were saying exactly what they saw, but it was perceived as blasphemy. And I think that's why Paul talked about how the things he saw were things that were unlawful for him to utter. If people would have heard it, if he'd have wrote it down, it would have been perceived as heresy, it would have been perceived as blasphemy. But these were the things that he saw. So look at verse 2 of Revelation 4. It says, And immediately I was in the Spirit. So he's not there physically. He's there in the Spirit. <clears throat> and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And I believe it's Jesus Christ that is sitting on the throne. And so it's important that we note, John, that he's in the Spirit when he's seeing these things. The things that are in heaven, they cannot be seen with a physical mortal body. Okay, There is a reason that God is going to have to change our corruptible vile body before we are take, caught up into heaven. All right, One, we would defile heaven. And two, I don't believe we could physically handle seeing heaven. Okay, And John is not in a glorified state right here. So he's caught up in the spirit. He's seeing things in the spirit, but I don't think he's seeing things exactly the way we will see them when we are in heaven and glorified. He's seeing them in a way that He can handle so Jesus can give him the message that He wants Him to give. And so, what's it, what? it's important what we get from this passage is the intended message. Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Like I said I want, to, I want to give you more evidence of this. Now, John 3 is another one too. That these just, you know, Bible morons are just getting stupid with. Okay? Just getting, the, the modalists especially, they lose their minds in the book of John. Why? Because they never look at the main message. They all want to, you know, when Jesus will use a heavenly example, they want to get all crazy literal with that and end up just destroying. The scriptures. But it says in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What did Jesus tell him? He has to be born again. So according to what Jesus said, all right, if I'm going to be consistent. If a modalist is going to be consistent in how they interpret John 3, then it means you've got to enter into your mother's womb and be born again. Is that not what Jesus said? Hey, I've been born once. I was born. My mother gave birth to me. Jesus said you must be born again, so that's what I've got to do, right? Well, we all know better than that, all right? There's been enough teaching on what it means to be born again that nobody's doing that. But unfortunately, you know, when it comes to the Trinity, people haven't been preaching on that long enough. And so it's allowed people to get stupid with their interpretation of the Bible. But let's keep reading. all right? Because there's a main message here in John 3 that the modalists can't seem to get. So Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a the man be born of water and of the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell when it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Okay, what he's saying right here, you all hear the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But you know what? We don't sit around worrying about that, do we? We don't sit around just all concerned and you know we've got, to, we've got to fully understand all these things in order to accept them. Is that not what Jesus is trying to teach him here? So listen, don't marvel that I use the phrase like you must be born again. There's plenty of things that we take by faith. Okay, There's plenty of things that we take by faith and we ought to be able to just take that by faith that you must be born again. You know what Jesus is saying? You just need to believe me. That's what he's saying. You need to believe me. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Hey, you're a master in Israel. You're a leader. You ought to know these things. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. The things that we speak of should be things that we know about. Okay? I have no business getting up here and giving you a lecture on you know, the life and the culture of Italy. I've never been there. I don't know anything about it. I did fly over Italy one time. I've seen it. But I'm not an authority on that. You know why? Because I've never been there. I've never been a part of it. So you know what? I'm not going to go and parade myself around as a teacher of that. We speak about the things that we know about. Okay? And what does Jesus know about? He knows about heavenly things. Why? Because he came from there. Let's keep reading. Uh, if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? See? The heavenly things we are not going to get. If we just need to believe Christ, alright, we're not going to understand how everything works in heaven. And look what it says. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. All right, Nobody else went up to heaven and got this information. Okay, But the Son of Man, Jesus Christ Himself, He has this information. Why? Because He came down from heaven. He's saying, I came from heaven. And then He says, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So wait a minute, was Jesus in heaven or was He on earth? And I got in trouble with the modalist For saying he was on earth And not in heaven But here's the thing I can't necessarily explain How everything works in the Trinity And this passage Isn't trying to explain How everything works in the Trinity You know what it's trying to explain? That you need to believe Christ And at the end of the day Here's what I do know The Father sent the Son to earth Jesus Christ was on earth Jesus Christ, later in the book of John, said, I'm going to go away. And then He also said, and I'm going to send you a comforter. He will come unto you. But then later He said, I will come unto you. So Jesus is the Holy Spirit, right? Well, if Jesus is the Holy Spirit and He sent the Holy Spirit, why are we waiting for the return of Christ? Because He's not here. But He is here. Um, through, Through the work of the Holy Spirit, right? You see... There are things, there, there's there's ways it all works, but people like to get crazy literal with it. They go crazy literal with these passages and end up missing the main point. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, I don't have to understand how everything in the Trinity works, but I'm not allowed to deny clear Scripture. And the clear Scripture says there are three, the bare record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And But they do, they miss it, and then what does he go on to say? He talks about As Moses lifted up to serve in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He goes on to John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The main point of John chapter 3 is not Jesus trying to teach how everything in the Trinity works. He's trying to teach that, you know what, there's things that you can't fully understand because they are heavenly, like God who is heavenly. So what you need to do is get the main message and here's the main message of John chapter 3. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe His words. He is not trying to teach you know, the makeup of God in that passage. So, y'all get that. And in Revelation 4, there is a very clear thing that is being taught. But yet, everybody wants to take all the other verses, and nobody wants to talk about what Revelation 4 is actually talking about, and they just want to make the Bible look stupid with what they see in there. So, look at verse 3. It says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders, sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. We'll get back to them when I talk about who I think the twenty-four elders are. Alright, so, uh, I said, I think, I think I've got sixteen of them figured out, or six, 16, I, I remember, sixteen or seven. I said seventeen, I think it's sixteen I've got. I think I've got 16 of them. But anyway, so, you know, the pre they say it's the church. No evidence to back it up. Or they'll use numerology. And their numerology doesn't make any sense, too, when they do that. But it's just, it's desperation. But let me show you one passage that proves that the 24 elders are not the church. Okay? Look at Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 cuz they'll say you know that you know Revelation 4 is the rapture and so the 24 elders that represents the church this represents the judgment seat of Christ because we all know when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ we're going to be given rewards we're going to be given our crowns and what are we going to do with our crowns we're going to give them back we're going to cast them at his feet now i know all the songs say that but the bible doesn't teach that i'm sorry the Bible does not teach that. All the songs say it, but it's not in the Bible. But let me prove to you the first that the the $24 are not the church. It says in Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I behold, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Now this is the rapture right here. I don't have time right now to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the rapture but it is. And I'll prove that to you when we get to Revelation 7. So you're going to have to take my word for it that this is in fact the rapture right now. It says in verse 10, He cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. And then look at verse 13. It says, And one of the elders answered um, unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. So basically, we see the twenty-four elders were already there in heaven before this. We see the twenty-four elders are mentioned with this group that gets raptured out of great tribulation. So we see that they are distinct from the group of people that got raptured. Therefore, it's not the church. Okay. And so there's there's no doubt the 24 elders are not the church. I said I know I didn't prove to you Revelation 7 is the rapture. I don't have time for that. I'll I will prove that. I mean there is no doubt Revelation 7 is showing the rapture, and we will cover that in detail when we get to Revelation chapter 7. But the gainsayers will say I didn't prove anything with that. Just they'll have to stay for Revelation chapter 7. There's no doubt that's a rapture. But I personally think so. Here here's who I think the 24 elders are, all right. And I said I think I know who 16 of them are. Okay, I personally believe that they are high priests of the Old Testament. That's who I personally think they are. Now I, I can be wrong, and if I'm wrong, if I'm a heretic, you know, I, I will I will admit it and uh, I will repent of that. But let me give you some of my reasoning for thinking that. So notice it mentions that these. Uh, 24 elders, they wear crowns of gold. All right? Now, a lot of crowns are gold, but what's interesting about the high priest in Exodus 39, verse 30, says, And they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it a writing like to the engravings of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. The high priest, they wore gold crowns. They said, Holiness to the Lord. Kind of praising God, kind of giving credit, you know, glory to God. So I think that's kind of a, an interesting similarity right there. The only other people that you really see wearing crowns of gold, you know, you see David, he had a crown that had a talent of gold. But the thing is, that king was not something that God had originally ordained. It was something the people demanded. The high priest was something that God ordained. And they were a people who wore a crown of uh, crowns of gold. I'll show you more evidence uh, for why I think that. But they also, they had the highest rank when it came to spiritual things. And they had a great deal of authority, didn't they? They had a lot of authority. They executed judgment. They, I mean, uh, we see that it was Phineas that even, you know, he executed some people at one time. You know, pastors, we're not allowed to do that. Alright? I kind of wish we could sometimes, but we're not, we're not allowed to do that. So, some people believe they're pastors, right? but, you know, because they're called elders, and pastors are also referred to as elders, right? But, We also see an elder is sometimes even used in the city. You know, the city had elders. An elder is just a term for a leader, and it's not just used in the church. You know, Israel had elders. Different, you know, different communities that weren't even of God, they had elders. That's just a common term for those that are in leadership. But I believe these elders that are in heaven were people who were on earth that had a very special rank and role, and I believe are the high priests. But here's the thing. Let's not focus so much on who they are because that's not the main point of Revelation chapter 4. It's not trying to teach who the 24 elders are. Let's focus on what they're doing. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, The four and twenty elders fell down before Him that sat on the throne, and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, and This is where the whole thing comes where We're going to cast our crowns before Him. The Bible says the 24 elders are going to do that. If we are not the 24 elders, there is nothing else in the Bible that says we're casting our crowns before the Lord. That comes from that verse right there. I hate to ruin all the songs, but that is just, that is the only place where we see it in the Bible. We don't see it anywhere else where we do that. Say, so, well, all glory goes to Him and I'm going to give mine to Him. Well, that's, that's fine if you want to do that, but you know the Bible doesn't teach that we're going to do that. It teaches that the 24 elders will. And this is just my opinion too. All right, if I may throw this in, we're going to see later when Jesus Christ returns in Armageddon. Bible says He's wearing many crowns. How many? I think twenty-four. All right, your guess is as good as mine, but I guess I guess twenty-four. But they're saying, "Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are, and were created. So they are. They're they're casting their crowns. These elders." are casting their crowns before the Lord uh, pronouncing that he is worthy you know what they're doing they're giving all authority to Jesus remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 18 this is right before he uh, gives them the great commission right before he ascends into heaven he said you know he said all power is given unto me in heaven and earth okay and often when the bible talks about power it's not just talking about you know special abilities to do cool stuff, which Jesus had a lot, It means it's all authority. It's talking about all power and all authority. Jesus said, it is given to me. All power and all authority is given to me. And I personally believe that's what we're seeing right here in Revelation 4 is it's showing how Jesus is the one with all power and all authority. The focus of Revelation 4 is who is on the throne and what is being done. What's being done is all authority is being given to Christ. Why? Because there are some events that are about to start unfolding. There are some seals that are about to be broken. There are some trumpets that are going to be sounding. There's some wrath that's going to be poured out on this earth. And Jesus Christ, ultimately, when this is all finished, He is going to come to earth and rule and reign. He is going to rule and reign on earth. And listen, nobody has the right to just go and just claim authority of something. Powers are ordained of men. Okay, And I'm going to show you some verses pa- on this. You say, well, well, he's God. Yes, but Jesus Christ was also a man. And Jesus Christ is coming to rule the earth. And he's, he's coming back to earth as a man again. And he is being given all authority by men. He's not just taking it. This power is being given to him. The power, the authority that he has is a legitimate power and authority. It's not something that he's just taken by brute force because he's stronger and more powerful than everybody. The authority that he has to rule and reign over this earth is a legitimate, God-given authority that is ordained of men, I believe is what we're seeing here. And I'll show more evidence of that here in just a little bit. But look what it says in verse 5. It says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of a fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to see a lot of examples of lightnings, thunderings, and voices coming from the throne. And any time that happens, it usually means something big is happening. And so in verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And this is what Tyler doca alright, you know, he he wants to preach on Revelation 4 and he used it to prove a flat earth and he talks about the sea of glass. And glass is flat. He's not trying to tell us what the sea is made out of. Okay? A glass in the Bible, in, uh, I think it's in James, it talks about he beholds himself as in a glass. It's like a mirror. You know what it's just saying? It's saying that this sea is one that casts a reflection. Alright? Out in Washington State there's a beautiful um, uh, I forgot what it's called, it's called like mirror Lake or something like that, where you can go and you can look at it and there's just a, you can see the reflection of the mountain on there and it's just it's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful sea. And so imagine seeing this heavenly throne and before it it's a sea of glass. I think that's also a reference to how still the water is. The water is very still. It's very calm. It's not being disturbed like the waters of earth are. And it's just a very still water with a reflection. That's all that's trying to teach right there. And then he's going to use that. It's like, that's so dumb. All right. You don't use a verse like that to try to prove that. You cannot do that. Get the main idea of the verse. And this is just what John saw. This is just a vision right here. And so, just I I, I get so frustrated with this kind of thing. That that does not prove anything. I'm not going to use that verse to prove a round earth. And don't use it to prove a flat earth. That's not what it's about. It's just talking about a very calm sea where I believe you can see a reflection of all the beauty that is around there, which would be a magnificent sight to behold. I think John's just saying, hey, this is pretty up here. This is a beautiful sight that we're seeing. So verse 7 says, And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was, beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So I've these beasts, and there's a lot of speculation, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, a lot of people believe they represent the Gospels. Alright? The Gospels give all glory to Jesus, right? And so you've got the first beast like a lion, Jesus Christ in Matthew. I mean, he is portrayed as the King, Jesus Christ the King. He's the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In chapter 1, it goes through the lineage of Christ. It focuses on that kingly line we see in Mark it represents Jesus Christ as a servant it focuses a lot on the miracles that second beast was uh, uh, was like a calf all right a calf or an ox or a cow that is a working animal we see the third beast had the face of a man luke gives the physical lineage going all the way from adam to joseph we see it focuses on the humanity of christ we see his birth in that passage, or in that in that gospel. And then the fourth one, like an eagle, John focuses on the deity of Christ. And the eagle is a very majestic thing. And at the end of the day, these seraphims, you know what they're doing? They're giving all glory to God. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. These are the same seraphims I believe that we see in the book of Isaiah, once again just showing how all power, all glory, all authority, it goes to Jesus Christ. The Gospels all give witness to Jesus Christ. The Prophets, they all give witness to Jesus Christ. Our entire Bible we have is about Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how people can take a passage and a book that's about Jesus Christ and make it about everything but Jesus Christ. It is amazing how people do that. It's it's absolutely nuts. But, uh, so verse 9 says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever... The four and twenty elders fall down before Him on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So, turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. Let me give you more evidence of what I think is going on right here and what the main idea of Revelation chapter 4 is. So, Revelation chapter 4... It is just showing that Jesus Christ is the one who has been given all power and all authority because Jesus Christ is about to pour out His wrath on the earth and He is ultimately, at the end of this book, is going to come back and He's going to rule and reign on this earth. And these positions, this position as King of kings and Lord of lords is not one that He just took for Himself. It was one... That was given to him by legitimate authorities. Listen, we take you know ordination and things like that really serious. I don't believe somebody ought to just go and declare themselves to be a pastor. That's, that's not, I don't I don't even believe somebody has the right to just go and declare themselves the mayor or the sheriff. All these things are ordained of men, and I preached about this in other messages. I, I preached through. Hebrews chapter 5. But let me let me remind you of some things here in Hebrews chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins... And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death, and was heard, and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And there's many other passages in Hebrews we can go to showing how there are these things. They are ordained of men. They are called of men. So here we have Jesus Christ who is getting ready to come and one, he's going to execute judgment. Well, who says he has the authority to do that? So he said, do I have the authority to just declare myself the executioner of Rock Falls? Hey, if somebody breaks the law, it's my job to execute them. If it's, or, or lay lashes on them. Do I even have the right to go? If I see somebody breaking the law, I'm out door knocking, and I notice somebody smoking pot or something like that, can I just go and cuff them and haul them off to jail? Absolutely not. I have not been given that authority. I have not been ordained of men for that position. So who ordains Jesus Christ? Who is it that has given them all this power and authority? Well, ultimately, we know that it was God that ordained him is the high priest. But even the positions on this earth, they are positions that are ordained of men. And I personally believe what we see going on right here, when these 24 elders are casting their crowns before Him, what they're doing is they're giving all authority to Him. That's what I believe is going on. And I believe personally that they are high priests because Once again, I mentioned all the the pull that the high priest had, but they were the ones that on earth, they had the earthly ministry of you know offering up the sacrifices on behalf of the people. They had a lot of pull. They had a lot of power. And so if there were going to be some men that were going to ordain Jesus Christ, who is the high priest, it just kind of makes sense to me that it would be them. And so here's why I think I know maybe who 16 of them are, because who are they? And, I, and what I, I do want to do a study on all the high priests in the Bible. But, you know, not all the high priests they had were good. Some of them were pretty bad. I personally think it was probably just the 24 best ones. That's just my opinion. I could be dead wrong, but here's where I get 16 of them, all right? And Ezra, Ezra was from the line of the high priest. But Ezra was not a high priest. He was just a scribe. But when you're in Ezra chapter 7 it names off several people in the lineage. But the thing is, not all of them are named. And often in genealogies in the Bible, it doesn't always name every single person. Sometimes it skips them. Sometimes it skips some of those people because I think it's like God wanted to forget them because they were so wicked. Or it'll just kind of focus on the most important ones. And I think that's what we see going on here. It says in Ezra 7, One after these things in the reign of art deserts these king of Persia, Ezra... The son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Bukhi, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. And I think that's just kind of given a line of the high priest, because Ezra wasn't a high priest during that time, because I don't even know if they had one during that time, because they were just coming out of captivity. And so, if I was to guess who some of them are, I would put them in that line. And there were many after this time of Ezra. Maybe there were some good ones in there. I don't know. That's just my opinion. That is just my opinion, that that's who, who they would be. You know, the crowns of gold, that's not a big deal. So it might be stretched a little bit. But they were very key figures in the Old Testament. These are all going to be people who are already in heaven. and So, uh, at the end of the day, that's really not important, who the 24 elders are. At the end of the day, here's what Revelation 4 is about. And we can all argue about what the beasts represent. We can all argue about what the eyes that are all over the beasts represent. We can all even argue about the sea of glass, if you want to. At the end of the day, here's what Revelation 4 is about. Jesus Christ, it's showing Him being the fact that He has been given all power and all authority. I think this is a reference, too, to what we see in Matthew chapter 28. So, Pastor Tommy, are you saying this already happened? Well, here's the thing. If what happens in heaven happens in eternity. Okay? It's not exactly on our timeline. So had it happened yet when Jesus said, all power is given unto me? Well, here's the thing. He was on our time then. After He ascended up into heaven, He went into eternity. So when did all this happen? Did it already happen? Or is it going to happen? See, that right there is what you and I can't fully comprehend. So that's why God speaks of these things in heavenly way he speaks of heavenly things in earthly terms and i don't need to know whether it was before or after or now i don't need to know any of that the wind bloweth where it listeth okay here's what i do need to understand from revelation chapter 4 is that all power has been given to jesus christ when jesus christ comes to, and he starts pouring out his wrath on this earth, he has the authority to do so. He's been given that power and authority. He did not take it on himself. He has been given that authority. He's been given it by God and he has been given it by man. He's been given that authority. And when he comes to rule and reign on this earth, he is not some self-proclaimed king. He is an ordained king who has been given this power legitimately. Why? Because He meets the qualifications, He is worthy. Is that not what they were saying? Thou art worthy. He's not some of these people that are out there just wanting to declare themselves pastor, declare themselves sheriff, declare themselves mayor. No, that you got to be worthy. There's a process for these things. And Jesus Christ, He has met all of God's requirements to be able to execute all power and all authority on this earth And that, my friends, is what Revelation chapter 4 is all about. If you want to argue about those little details, we can do that and have fun with all that stuff. Just don't miss the main point of Revelation chapter 4. And so I hope you all got that. And we're going to see more evidence of that when we get to chapter 5. When we get to chapter 5, when we see a lamb as it had been slain. Does Jesus look like a sheep? What's that talking about? Alright? Hey, there's a there's a message there. We're going to see more evidence. We're going to see uh, more reasons why Jesus Christ is worthy, why the power and authority he has is legitimate. Because you know what people are going to do? We're going to see it when we get later in Revelation. When Jesus Christ starts pouring out his wrath on this earth, you know what people are going to do? They're going to blaspheme. You know what their attitude is going to be? Who is he to do this to us? A lot of people get mad and they get aggravated and they they don't like the teaching that Jesus Christ is going to come and He's going to rule and reign on this earth one of these days. They don't recognize His power and authority. Well, guess what? His power and authority is legit. It came from God and He is worthy of it. Revelation 4 is is evidence of that and that's what it's trying to teach us there. So I hope you all got that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for... Uh, the teaching that's in, in, your, in the Scriptures. Help us, Lord, to learn from these things when it comes to our Bible study. Help us to not get sidetracked on just foolish rabbit trails and just weird teachings. Lord, help us just to focus on the main point of what you're trying to teach us. Lord, this book is about you. It's not about us. It's not about our uh, all, all these weird teachings that are going around today. Lord, And I pray you'll help us to just be uh, honest in how we interpret the Scriptures and you'll help us learn the things you want us to know from them. In your name we pray. Amen. Well let's go ahead.